turn now to today's scripture passage. We continue in this letter written by the Apostle Peter to the church in Asia Minor, which we today would call Turkey, or parts of Turkey anyway. As he was speaking to them in the midst of persecution for the church, for the followers of Christ, and how to live accordingly, how to live our faith in light of the resurrection, how to live in light of the hope of the, that we find in Christ Jesus. We continue, we've continued through it, not reading every part, but today we find ourselves in the middle of the third chapter, beginning at verse 13. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct, for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which is prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think my brain has certain movies and certain scenes playing on a constant loop. As I was considering today's sermon, <clears throat> Usually when I get to my opening, I kind of already have that in, in, in my brain as I'm working through it, but, but it changed as that constant movie loop was playing, encountering the rest of my sermon, and I was thinking, words and actions that match up. Empire Strikes Back. I'm not going to describe it, I'm just going to let it play for you. We'll never get it out now. So certain are you. Always with you, what cannot be done. Hear you nothing that I say. Master, moving stones around is one thing. This is totally different. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn 
what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No. Try not. Do. Or do not. There is no try. All right, I should have set it up better. I should have set it up. So, all right, if you don't know Star Wars, and this is not a spoiler, the movie's been out since 1980, some, 1980, I think, actually. All right. His, his starship is in the swamp. He needs to get it out. He's using the Force. You got to know Jedi Force all right, by now, right? So, right. All right. He doesn't think he can do it. So, he says what? I'll try. Yoda's having none of that. We saw that part. So, after Yoda says... Either do it or don't. Don't try it. So Yoda, and this is a full five-minute clip. I could have watched this. It would have been all right, but I wouldn't have made y'all sit through that whole thing. Luke walks away, the guy who was only trying. And Yoda, as if it was already predetermined that it was going to work, lifts the thing out of the swamp and sets it down safely elsewhere. He knew it was. He knew that his words and his actions needed to do to mimic what he was saying. Uh, his words and his actions needed to line up. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it. If I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Now they have the force and they're Jedi and they can do certain things like that. It doesn't always work for us regular human beings. But words aligning with action is an important aspect of being fully human. I think it's part of our fallen nature when those things start to separate, when our words and actions don't necessarily line up. I kind of feel that in the garden at the, right after they ate of the fruit. They were already starting to separate actions from words. Words matter. Actions matter. And, I, and the way I like to say it is, our manner matters. Not even the fullness of what we do, but our bearing, how we hold ourselves as we speak about life, but particularly about the things of faith. Our words and our manner, manner matter very much. One of the words in today's text in the original Greek is a word that shifted from um, how it was originally used to how we see it used in English today, there's a word called uh, uh, apologia. It sounds an awful lot like our word apology, right? In today's text, there is no apology in today's text. Instead, this word was used originally for defense. Peter's asked, telling them they should be ready to give a defense for the hope, an account, a defense for the hope that is within them. It's interesting how words' meanings shift. But today in, in, in Christendom, there exists the word apologists. And these are people who make defenses of the Christian faith. They are people who lean heavily on apologetics. There's a whole um, system, a, a, a whole class of, of teachings called apologetics. Again, proofs or defenses of our faith, applying reason to uh, the things that sometimes don't always come across as logical, but oftentimes they have roots in reason and logic. We don't have to dump our brains at the door as we come to our faith. 
So as we see today's text and we encounter Peter encouraging them not to make an apology for our faith, because that really could be the sense of what's happening here. Peter could be saying, he's not, but it, we could see how he could make the case, well, yeah, if you get caught as a Christian, you know, just apologize and move on. But he's not saying apologize for your faith. Be ready with an offense. Be ready with words of your faith to give an accounting of the hope that is within you. And that became a, a pretty regular aspect of the early church, of people who are well-known for being apologists. And I had this whole list of people that I was going to share with you. And, but anyway, the first one, the first well-known one is Justin the Martyr. And he lived from around 100, year 100 uh, to 165 and um, ended up dying for his faith, hence being called Justin the Martyr. But he was known for his early uh, Christian apologetics. So they took the words of Peter very seriously. They were ready to talk about their faith. They were ready to talk about why it mattered. But Peter doesn't just say uh, to defend your faith just with words. He also goes on to describe actions, bearing, our manner. In terms of words of our faith as the defense, Peter urges us that we should be prepared, as I said, to make a defense, that apologia, for the hope that is within us. Last week, we looked at the text and were considering their experience of suffering and at the same time also being able to, to reframe how they view the world and themselves through the lens of hope and not through that lens of suffering. To not be identified by their suffering, to be identified by their hope while encountering the suffering that was around them and coming at them um, in terms of their faith. So as we look at the world around us through that lens of hope, how do we speak about faith in those terms? And Peter's encouraging them to speak clearly and with conviction, but also humility and respect. It's not about winning arguments. Because giving a defense in legal terms, it's, it, you could see it's about making an argument. It's not about necessarily making, uh, winning an argument. It's about giving a gift. God's grace is a gift that was given to us to be re-gifted to others. And even as we experience it ourselves, we don't diminish it. We actually enhance it as we hand it off to others. So we give it not to win arguments, but sharing the reason for the hope that we have in Christ. This is important, incredibly important in a world that seems hopeless, that not only are there are words of defense, but they are certainly grounded in hope so that they can be a source of hope for others. As we, again, as we talked about last week, it wasn't pretend, plain pretend that somehow the challenges of the world, the chaos around us, the suffering that was a part of us wasn't there. It was just how do we perceive the world despite them and in light of our hope, hope that's grounded in Christ's resurrection and his promises for us. And then Peter insists that when our 
we are criticized for our faith or for doing good, that the same good conduct in Christ may put those who abuse us to shame. The comparison in the early church in that time was these people should be ashamed of themselves. Their leader died a shameful death on the cross. It was meant to be an ugly and shame-filled display. And they were applying that to the early church. You should be people who feel shame for who you follow. And they were flipping that around. Peter was intentionally flipping that around. They should be the ones who should feel shame for criticizing you in terms of not just your faith, but your actions. And Peter gets pretty specific about the actions. We're not necessarily specific, but he goes on much more about actions than he does about words. There have been plenty of words that he's written and spoken, I think, that he feels like are, are enough. But he goes on to say plenty about our manner and how we express faith. In verse 16, gentleness and reverence. Gentleness and reverence, or respect. Gentleness and respect. It's not about boasting about how much we know. It's about not about trying to prove somebody wrong. It's about sharing our faith in such a way that is as gentle as our Savior and respectful of the image of God that is found in each person. It's sharing our faith with humility and kindness. It's not engaging with others to win, but engaging in conversation with empathy and respect for where people are at any given time and their beliefs, even when they defer from our own. But just sharing our perspective, our lens, our lens of hope. Also in verse 16, he does talk about good conduct. Let your good conduct put others to shame. He, he, this, this passage starts with, who gets in trouble for doing good things? He then goes on to say, well, Jesus did. I don't know if it was because they didn't have erasers or whatever. He was like, oh, wait, wait. I don't know why, but it's almost like this little ironic sentence that he throws in there. And then he goes on to say, well, sometimes people do get in trouble for doing what's good. However, let them be the ones who discover the shame for criticizing you when you're doing good things. Because the early Christians, this was from a sermon a few weeks ago, I mentioned that they were doing things that nobody else in the culture would do. They were rescuing babies who had been put out for, to exposure just to die because they were either un, they were unwanted for whatever reason. They were taking care of people, the widows and the orphans. They were doing things, again, they were doing jobs that other people would not do. Out of the goodness of their faith, so if they're being criticized for that, let that be their own shame rather than necessarily being criticized about their faith. Just do, do what's right, do what's good, and just keep doing it. But in terms of if you do encounter suffering for your faith, it's not about avoiding suffering at all costs. That's not what the Christian faith is about. Again, as seen in the life of Christ. But sometimes we suffer for our faith. Sometimes we suffer for doing what's right. But again, not being defined by our suffering, but being defined by the hope that's within us. 
And he says multiple times about hope and optimism. Our manner is not meant to be defined by fear or cynicism, but by hope. Hope should be the flavor of every aspect of our faith. It should be, I think of things in terms of, is this a marinade or, or glaze? Is this an outer coating that's going to fall off as soon as I cut into this ham? Or is this a piece of steak that's soaked in all the nice things that I want it to soak in overnight, and it's fully part of every aspect of it? I don't think of everything in terms of food, just sometimes. But hope is supposed to be a marinade. That's a part of us even when things aren't right. Even if it's cooked well done and you wanted it medium rare, it's still a part of it. Hope is supposed to be a part of us regardless of what's going on. And, and, and at the same time, when things are going badly, that we know that Jesus wins in the end. That's what that last book in the Bible is about. There, yes, there's scary things that happen in it. If you can't, don't like the scary things, go to verse, I mean, chapter 21. That's where hope wins in the end. If you can't find your hope anywhere else, find it there. And find optimism in that hope. And all of this, every bit of it for Peter is grounded in Jesus' resurrection. Every aspect of his faith and his hope and his outlook on the world is grounded in that the one he had followed as a friend, a teacher, a mentor, suffered horribly, died grotesquely, but he rose again from the dead. Every aspect of who he is is grounded in that. And every bit of the hope that he has for not just his life, because he doesn't see it just on his terms, but he sees it on the world's terms. And the hope in terms of the world are limitless. Today, as we encounter this concept of sharing our faith, excuse me, and to, as uh, the words get kind of scary sometimes, evangelism, ooh, I don't think I've been in a Methodist church in maybe 30 years that still has a committee on evangelism. We do in our book of discipline, which is our church, our denominational constitution and all the stuff we should have and do book. But we all play around with the words because we're afraid of that word evangelism. It means sharing the good news. That's all that word means. But it has all these scary things attributed to, or at least we think they are sometimes. But even other words like give your testimony, wait, or witness, both of those feel like courtroom things. All right. Testimony is your, your, your personal account, and witness is something along the same lines. But it's about sharing this good news in Jesus. It's about sharing our faith. It's about offering this gift of grace. Whatever words you attribute to it, they don't have to be scary, as long as they're centered on the hope found in Jesus Christ. And as we give this gift, it's not dependent upon how well we deliver it. Let me free you up from that. That's the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. We merely offer the gift, 
And they do with it as they will. And the Holy Spirit is the one at work. You don't have to be a gifted orator. You don't have to be charismatic or charming. You don't have to have a locked down defense in terms of a, a, a logical laid out argument. That's not what Peter meant. He's aligning words and actions about a life displaying hope. So the one thing that we can share, if putting words on, because that's terrifying for folks. Does anybody really, I mean, I'm not going to make people, I'm not going to ask you, I was going to ask you. But most people don't just like, ooh, wake up every morning. How many people do I get to tell Jesus about Jesus today? Right? You just, we don't, most of us don't. But we have an opportunity to share our story. People can argue facts about faith. You can go through and, you know, there are people that, you know, they live for arguments. All I have to do is read a comment section of any article that has anything at all controversial and sometimes nothing controversial, but somebody decides to pick a fight. There are people who live for that. What do we call those people in the social media world? Trolls. It's not a positive word, but there are people who live for that. We're not to be those people. We're, about, we're meant to be the people that share a gift, share our faith, and sharing your story of faith. People can't argue with your story. They may, not, they, may, they may not agree with how it has impacted your life, perhaps, but they can't argue with your story. Part of my faith journey um, occurred on Mr. Jefferson's um, Institution of Secular Humanity, UVA. Jefferson was not a Christian in, in the way that most of us would define that. He was about um, secular, which means not sacred, secular humanism and the, the benefits of being better humans on our own without any divine intervention or uh, participation. But, in, but there is a chapel at UVA. And in that chapel one night I went to, and I don't even, I don't even remember anymore if it was InterVarsity or whoever, one of the Christian groups on ground. I had, my other, I had my own Jesus groups, but I thought I'd go check this one out because mine wasn't meeting that night. It was the only time I ever went. I, I, wasn't, it was, I wasn't in a place of no hope, but I was kind of in a, I don't know, in a questioning kind of thing. I'm not fully agnostic, but just, I just had questions. I think we all have questions, but I had some stumbling blocks. Let's go with that. And this man at the end came up and asked me a question that comes out of a really, um, at the time, a popular evangelical movement um, that started with the question, do you know where you're going after you die? It was the opening question of this thing. And after I learned where it came from, I I didn't like it as much because I just don't think that's a good opening line. However, for me, as I was growing in my faith, I had in my head this different understanding of salvation. Because my answer to the man was, well, I don't know. And I, well, I said, and I said, I hope so. That's what I said. He said, you can do more than hope, you can know. And he talked about assurance of our salvation through faith. I never saw him again. I never went back to that thing again because my group was still meeting. At the time, just didn't meet that night. But it realigned some theology that I had picked up growing up. I 
because I can remember in Sunday school class asking, how do we know we're saved? And the teacher basically said, we do our best and hope it's enough. It was works salvation. We don't do that. It's not about the things that we do. It's about the one whom we believe in. So that one moment aligned my faith in such a way that freed me from that burden of uncertainty and allowed me to walk differently in my faith. Allowed me really to, uh, to take a next step in embracing my call. I'd already kind of had this sense of where God wanted me to be and do in life, but I wasn't ready to jump in. So that was one of those steps that helped along my way. That's a story that I have to share. I forget that I'm on this mic and I step away, sorry. It's a you can argue with its impact and its relevance, maybe, but you can't argue with the story itself. We all have stories. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're really big and impactful. But they're a story. That's one of the gifts you have to share in regard to your faith. And as we share stories like that, you see, um, you hear words and you see uh, actions and, and manner as a part of all of that. And it needs to be, they need to be intermeshed, intermingled. It's really hard to convince somebody of your Christian faith if it comes across cynical or fearful or angry. But when it comes out of a place of hope and mercy and grace, lives are changed and transformed. Again, not through us, but we don't want to be stumbling blocks. We don't want to be in the way of them, but when we offer them in that manner, and then our subsequent actions as people watch us, because people watch us, are the, the proof of our words, then they start to put the picture together, and they start to have a desire to know more, and they'll ask you about it as they want to grow in faith themselves. Our words matter. As a part of our Christian faith, we have a book that has a lot of words. My, that's a hymnal. Anyway, my Bible's on my table. We have a book of words, and they're meaningful, and they're wonderful stories, and they tell us stuff about our faith, and they help us learn about who we are and who God is. We need words. But also our manner matters as well. And our actions need to follow up behind. Peter knew this then and continues to tell us now so that we might indeed be Christ's ambassadors in the world through our lived and spoken testimony, sharing of our faith, that others might see the love of God that resides within us and find the hope that we have found in him. Let's live out the hope that's within us, that the whole world might see it and, and come to know it themselves. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your son, for his birth, life, suffering, death, 
and resurrection. He experienced life in its fullness, knowing what it means to be human fully at the same time as he was fully divine, is fully divine. So as he offers us this hope through his servant Peter, is it, it is extended to us as those who have experienced the suffering as well as the joy. And not a false hope, but a sure and certain one. May that hope dwell within us. May it live through us. May it be expressed through words, manner, and deeds. And we need your help to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.